he spent 10 days-ish, I guess, in the ICU. And they had told us numerous times, if he doesn't make purposeful movements in that 10 days, this is him, right? He will be in a vegetative state his entire life. And again, it's like, hey, squeeze my hand. (laughs) Do something and nothing. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life explores the stories of real people who've navigated their way out of life's toughest situations, emerging with greater strength and resilience. If these stories remind you of your own journey and you or someone you know need help, our collective journey is here for you. Whenever you're ready to take that next step, reach out to us at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hey, I'm Ryan, and this is another episode of From Darkness to Life, your weekly dose of inspiration and resilience. Uh, Today, as always, we're here in the Plugged In Media Network studio. This is where, if any of our listeners uh, can relate, this is where some of the magic happens. You know, we bring that powerful narrative of resilience, growth, hope, and uh, our guests every week are astonishing, and and I can't say enough about the courage and the resilience it takes for people, the vulnerability for people to come in here and and share their stories, right, with... uh, with one purpose to try to help somebody else out there who's possibly struggling. So uh, if you want to stay connected with us beyond these airwaves, be sure to follow us on Instagram at FDTL podcast for all things from darkness to life. And uh, we'd love to hear from you too. You know, we get a lot of feedback, um, but I don't think it's nearly enough. We love to hear from the listeners. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us a line at info at our collective journey.ca with your thoughts suggestions, or maybe even your own journey from darkness to life, whatever that looks like, reach out and let us know. Uh, And with that, I think we're ready. So let's take this opportunity to welcome our guest today. Here in studio with us is a local Medicine Hat resident now. Uh, Her name is Kim, and I am very grateful that you're here today, Kim. We had the privilege of sitting down last week and having a coffee with you and just kind of discussing you know, some of your story and some of your journey and what you and your husband and uh, <clears throat> your brother-in-law have been through and continue to go through and what you guys have done with that now. And and I think that's, you know, one of the most powerful pieces that uh, we share on this is, you know, we we share about what it was like, what was the turning point, and then what's life like now and, and in your guys' journey, what you guys are doing today, you know, based on your experience and I'll, I'll let you get into that for sure. Um, you're the expert in your story, not me. So with that, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's really, yeah, what a cool experience. And I'm just really grateful that, um, we get the opportunity to, to do this and to sit down and, and have that conversation. Cause like you said, I think sometimes it takes a lot of courage and mm. people are doing it alone, yeah. you know? And I think that was a big part of our journey was, that um, that we decided to kind of recover out loud. You know, my Very husband cool. and I, we uh, have been sober for three years and he has struggled with addiction and alcoholism mm-hmm. like his entire life. Mm-hmm. And so in 2020, to make that decision at the peak of, you know, when the world was... Start just, of the pandemic? <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a great time to Ta- tackle sobriety. Exactly. And that was that was huge in itself, was just, you know, this isn't for me. And um, the, the courage that takes to just say, you know, I value my family and mm-hmm. my relationship and, you know, the, the things between my own four walls yeah. um, mm-hmm. more than my addiction. And 
I think that that was a catalyst for us. And, and for me, it was, I didn't, I've never struggled with um, drugs and alcohol and yeah. things like that. So it was the opposite side of the story of loving that person who is, is in the depths of those struggles and, you know, learning that whole difference between what is enabling and what is giving right. that ultimatum and, and how that works. But um, for me, it wasn't an ultimatum. It was just, you know, I will support you however this looks. Wow. And that, uh, you know, if you're going to choose to be to be sober, then I'm going to, too. Because I think that's the ultimate um, in just that vow to that mm -hmm. person that says, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it together. And so that kind of was our original journey was just that pride and sobriety right. and how that changed our relationship. And, and we, you know, he was able to show up for the people in his life entirely different than he had before, you for know, sure. being functioning his whole life and successful and all of those things. But there was always that crutch. Yeah. And so letting that go and letting that be the last piece that lets go in a time when it was, you know, crazy for everybody was took a lot of courage and, no and built us and built our relationship. So that's kind of like a little bit of, of our background. And then in June, my brother-in-law, he was almost 200 days sober. He was at a rehabilitation um, place, I yeah. guess, at, in uh, Surrey. And he was thriving. Mm -hmm. And so this was a similar story to my husband. Uh, he just lived the hard life, yeah. right? Right from the very early ages of teenager, you know, the drugs and the alcohol and the, the fast life and all yeah. of the things that, you know, and he would, you know, go to jail and then he would get really good, yeah. right? And he would make those calls and I'm, I'm doing really good. And then slip back into the whole, that whole life, that that comfort, yeah, I think. For sure. And this time he was really on it. He was, you know, um, doing the things. He was leading the groups. He was um, invested in <clears throat> personal development, right? Yeah. And, and really like wanting to be better. And he made a phone call to us in May and, and around my husband's birthday. And he said like, look, I'm so excited about this. I'm going to be an addictions counselor <laughs> and I'm going to share my whole life yeah. with other people and and this is going to make a difference mm -hmm. right i i think that now i'm i'm at that spot where where i can help other people that's amazing and it wasn't shortly after that that we got a call from the um, rehabilitation um, center and they just said have you seen him oh, wow. and we thought oh great here we go you know and he was just <clears throat> sorry he was just uh getting to transitional housing mm -hmm. you know he was on on top of the world at that yeah. point so no one seen it coming especially those people at the rehab because he was so invested right. in becoming better yeah. right and so he kind of just Went to MIA for a little while. And then in June, we got a Facebook message from someone we didn't know, someone who had connections um, with Paul. And they just said, he's in the hospital and we don't think he's going to make it. Wow. And it just, when you get that, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's addiction, like if it's attached to something like that, when you get that phone call, it changes mm -hmm. everything, right? And so he was down at the coast. We kind of just decided, all right, we're going to pick up 
and we're going to go and we're going to see, you know, see what's going on. And, and I think that that move itself was entirely different than before. My husband's family has, has had addiction and, and mm-hmm. alcoholism and stuff in it for a very long time. And, uh, he had lost his mom to addiction and we lost his sister last year to the same. And so it was just this repetitive thing. And when his sister passed away, we didn't talk about it. You know, it was just, she lived a extremely hard life. She didn't have that fixed address. She just kind right. of like didn't want the help, mm-hmm. you know? And for someone like that, it was very hard for us to, you know, how many times do you go? Yeah. How, what, what do you do at that point? And so when we lost her, it was very, quiet and we just kind of did the things and you know people close to us knew about it but that was kind of the end to that and so traveled to see Paul and he was in Burnaby so it's like I don't know 15 hours or something like that and oh and it was just not knowing not knowing what you're walking into right Mm -hmm. what does that look like these people who we had heard from are people that we'd cut out of our lives and wanted nothing to do knew that they were no good for him especially no good for us, you know, so knew that it couldn't be good. Absolutely. So you travel not. through that, you know, <clears throat> storm, storm and all mm-hmm. of the rain and everything to get there. And we got there and he was in the ICU for five days. So wow. he was intubated. Um, he had the perfect bomb for your brain in his body at yeah. the time, you know, and, and they just said to us like, we see this all the time, and and that is heartbreaking yeah, to think that you know, it's just a number there. Yeah. But he's your brother, you know, and he was like I said, he was intubated for five days, and they sort of in and out with doctors and all of the things and the um, neuropsychologists, like they wouldn't even put their name on things, right? They were just like, unfortunately, there's so much global brain damage that I can't tell you if he wakes up what that's going to look like. Yeah. And when you see somebody like that in that position, you start to like think about, you know, if I was in that position, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be here. Right. This is not a quality of life. What is he going to, you know, how's that, how's that going to look if he comes out of it? Right. So many unknowns. Right. And so he was breathing on his own at day five and they pulled him out of the coma. And he, at the same time, is detoxing, right? So they couldn't tell us, you know, is this active brain activity? Is this oh, detox? Wow. What For sure. What is this, yeah. right? And we were sitting with him one day and the doctors and, and nurses had always said, like, when you guys come into the room, his whole entire energy just shifts. I mean, he's obviously nonverbal. He's not making any purposeful movements, but his whole entire energy just is different when you're in the room. Like he knows you're in the room. And at that point, I just like, I really held on to the fact that he could have been gone as much as he's here right now, whatever that looks like, whatever the outcome of this is, there's a a reason why he's still here. Mm -hmm. And Probably, I don't know, halfway through that, he was just laying there so still and we were just talking and the room is so dark. You know, it's like right out of a movie, honestly. It sounds like a movie. It it does. Like people say that to me all the time. They're like, you guys could have a movie out of this whole. But he just pushed down on the bed and 
out of nowhere came I love you, brother. And we just like both looked at each there's no one else in the room of course at this point there's no and it was so strong and so loud that you you couldn't deny it right. you couldn't deny that there was someone still in that still body and that just was like the beginning of knowing that there was a a purpose for him here and he spent 10 days ish i guess in the ICU and they had told us numerous times, he, if he doesn't make pur- purposeful movements right. in that 10 days, <clears throat> this is him, right? He will be in a vegetative state wow. his entire life. And again, it's like that blow after blow after blow, right? You're, you're just hoping like, hey, squeeze my hand. Yeah, something, <laughs> Do right? something and nothing. And then we were there for about 12 days that first time and and at the end the doctor had said you know like i think that you're making a good choice if you put him on palliative care because we just really don't see anything we don't see improvement we're not seeing the things and my husband was really quite adamant of like you know if this was me and this was paul's decision for me i would not want to live right i don't want to be hooked up to all these things i don't want to be you know that's not a quality of life and i just could not let it go and it's so hard for me because I'm on the outside you know mm-hmm. as much as I'm part of this whole thing my story is very different than theirs because right. I hadn't struggled this isn't my brother yeah right I'm not the one that ultimately has to make that decision for sure and Ooh. so we kind of did like he got moved to a different ward and the night before we left, he was just so gray. He was had pneumonia. He was on oxygen, like everything that you could possibly think. This is not, you know, this is not going to get no any better. Wow. And we just sat at his bedside and just said, like, you don't have to fight anymore. Like, this is, you fought the hard life. You're 39 years old. You know, like, you're not, you fought the hard life already. And this is not a life for mm-hmm. you. And we just kind of had that time with him and the amount of times we had just prayed to God in the, (laughs) in the ocean. And and at that point, like I had not had experience with God very well, you know, very much my husband, his family, they didn't, but who do you go to? Absolutely. Who do you go to in that time? Mm -hmm. Right. Like that felt like the last resort was like, please make something happen. We went back to the hospital that day before we left, we weren't going to go. And I said, like, we should probably just, like, what if this is the last time? What if this is it, right? And we go back, and he was like, I, the aura, you know, like the energy in that room was just different. He didn't look so gray. He, his eyes were open and, like, wide. And he, I mean, he wasn't making those purposeful movements or or things that they were really hoping for, but... His body just right. looked different. And they called us on the way home and and the doctor said, and I mean, they have to do, they have to say the things, right? They have to give you the worst possible outcome always. And I understand that. But there was what felt like no hope, mm-hmm. right? Every mm-hmm. time you're just searching for someone to say, well, you know, he's yeah. young, he's strong, he might, you know, <laughs> he might pull through. Yeah. And that just really wasn't, the general consensus of the wow. things and the doctor had called and he said, I see that you have, you know, here that 
you're looking for palliative care for your husband or for your brother-in-law. And so we kind of chatted through that with the doctor on the drive. And he said, look, he said, when families feel like this is the right decision, they're really confident in it. And he says, I don't hear confidence in your voice. He said, so he's young, he's strong. If he can fight this pneumonia, maybe he has a chance. And so we were like, okay, (laughs) like maybe he has a chance. And so he just said, like, why don't you guys go home? I mean, you can't stay there. We have life here, you know? And, And he said, why don't you guys go home for the next couple of weeks, come back and see where he's at, and we can decide, you know, a plan from there. Right. Three days later, he was talking. Oh, my goodness. Full, like, two, three, <clears throat> two, three word sentences, but talking. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Like, there was nothing, <laughs> you couldn't deny it at that point. If you were someone who didn't believe in a higher power, you did. Absolutely, <clears throat> right. Excuse me, you did that day. Yeah, because how many professionals did you have leading up to those moments, you know, shed you know, some darkness, some thoughts around this isn't going to get any better. Right. Over and over. Yeah. And just saying, you know, like, unfortunately this looks, you know, you have 10 days Mm -hmm. and looking back, it's like, who makes that up? My goodness. Who gives you a, you know, here's your finish line. Oop, 10 days. You didn't do anything. Right. And just to think, that outcome could have been so different. For sure. Life-changing decision, right? For everyone involved, if your husband would have made that decision, the opposite decision. And being supportive of that, right? Again, you're from the outside because I'm the wife, Mm -hmm. right? And as much as you want to support and and encourage and, and be there, ultimately that decision was up to him. And talk about humbling, a humbling journey and the whole thing is just, I think a lot of it, was watching, like for myself, was watching him in that bed thinking that could be my husband. Yeah. They look very similar. <laughs> they look very similar. So watching them, you know, and and seeing him in that bed and right. thinking like, had he not made that decision, you know, only a few short years ago, he could have been Absolutely. the one in that bed. Yeah. And I think for him, the same, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking like that could have, my choices, my decisions could have led me to be that person. Absolutely. You know? <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, he's talking. He's talking. Sentences. Sentences. And now we're like video chatting and he's able to say things like, hi, brother, oh, you wow. know, and, and things like that. No motor skills really at that point, you know, his hands are locked up and he's still Completely in in the bed for the most part. They're moving him, you know, to a full wheelchair, supported wheelchair just to start getting him up. And we went back and forth, I I don't even know, countless times, every two weeks, sometimes maybe three weeks. Um, And sometimes it was only for the weekend, you know, three or four days, or it would be extended because we'd have meetings with the hospital and and things like that. And, I mean, Dave lost both his parents. Um, he has a half brother that lives on the coast and it's just like, for him, it was, it all fell on us, right? There was no family support. There was no one else that could say, Hey, could you go and see Paul today? Like we're there, we're not going to get there. Can you go? And, and so it was all, it was all on us. And it was like, you just 
get fully immersed in helping this human heal. Absolutely. Right. And it's like each time we would baseline again and again, because every time we'd go back, it would be something more, right? It would be, oh, now he's can open and close his left hand, right? He had a feeding tube and things like that. But, you know, every time there was like, okay, if this is as good as it gets, then I'm so excited, right? Mm -hmm. Then this is, if he can say yes or no, he has a quality of life. Yeah, for right? sure. Because he can say, you know, Paul, do you want this or that? He has a quality of life. He has decision. Yeah. And so every single time it was like a little bit more. And then it was the feet started to move. And, you know, it was as if the body was waking up again. Yeah. And they were working, you know, a little bit. I mean, in the hospital system, it's very hard. It's basically we're keeping you alive at this point. And... As it got further along, he, they started to like acknowledge a little bit that like, holy shit, like <laughs> we didn't, we didn't think this, right? This Obviously. is like, he's defying all the odds every single time. Right. And so they actually applied to have him go to a rehab hospital, which was like massive for us because that means that there's like a potential for real life Mm -hmm, again for sure and as much as they kept saying like he's never going to walk out of here right be very clear that you know this will be it every time right this will be as good as it gets okay and then you just accept that but the roller coaster of that is like you know okay we're here and then we're here and then you know there's some setbacks or there's some things that you know still aren't working but to have him like whole and with us and so they sent him he got denied the first time he just wasn't quite ready and uh, then the second time they applied and he got in so he moved to a rehabilitation hospital and in I think it was about eight weeks they taught him to walk no way <laughs> yeah That's so amazing. he was calling us and saying like oh I walked you know today and we're like walked and he's like yeah like with the parallel bars you know or the bars yeah right? and he's like I I was walking today and then it's like you know you can't even believe it because you're not there right, right? and right. you think like are you sure that yeah. that's what you're doing you know for a while it was scooting with your feet with the wheelchair and that was walking right and then it was with the parallel bars and now it's with the four-wheeled walker and unassisted and like working on, I can catch a football now. And it's just to think of where he was eight months ago to now Mm -hmm. that it's just, it's mind blowing what the body can do, but I have to give, I have to give that to God because there's nothing else. He should not be alive. Mm -hmm. You know, one, one choice, one decision that he made to leave that, um, that facility mm-hmm. changed everything for him. And and also for, for you guys. And also for us. Yeah. Because it, it just becomes, like I said, all-consuming, right. right? This is a perfect story that kind of illustrates, you know, the disease of addiction, right? And I know when I was in active addiction, it was all about me. I'm only hurting myself, right? It, I'm not impacting anyone else. And that's such a familiar story out there for anyone listening. I'm sure there's lots of people going through the same thing. And here's a prime example of how it's impacting a far greater circle than just yourself, right? And it's, oh and, my gosh. And it just <clears throat> consumes the mm-hmm. other people, 
you know, and it's not just him and his brother because now it's, it's me, yeah. right? Now it's him and I and his brother, right? And then it's our family, you know, because we have kids and, and we have, you know, our life here and work and all of these things that get um, affected mm-hmm. by that, right? And by, you know, the choice, like you said, of I'm not hurting anybody else. This mm-hmm. is familiar for me. This is comfort. Whatever that was for him at that moment changed everything for yeah. everybody. And to think like a different kind, like not an external change, really, mm-hmm. like a deep all kind of change. I mean, we met God through all of this. Yeah. Truly. And that changed our life. And, you know, he's now relearning all of the things. He he's living the the ultimate sacrifice of that decision. Mm-hmm. You know? For because sure. he is here, but he's here in a in a completely different um form. Yeah. Right? And having to relearn all of those things. But also with the blessing of of being released from that addiction, right. right, and not having a lot of memory and things around around that anymore. So, well, and what a fascinating piece that is. Like I know you and I talked about this before, Kim, but how you know Paul today doesn't really have the memory of the addiction and the compulsion, the obsession to use, and all those things that he had when he was in active addiction. Which is for me sitting here in recovery myself, that's baffling to to be able to just kind of close the curtain on that, right? And not know what that was like. Right. And now he's, you know, in recovery without knowing a lot about his active addiction. Right. Or what that, what that felt like and how, you know, when we talk about recovery, we still have those memories, those Mm -hmm. feelings, those like, you know, those cravings, those kind of things. And he doesn't have that. And so it's like he has awareness around the life that he used to live, right? And what that looked like. Yeah. But the the physical piece yeah. more so is as if it was wiped wiped clean. It's baffling. And it's like, it's really cool because we keep saying, you know, like one day you'll be able to share your story. And I don't know, you know, if that, if that will be something because there is a lot of, of connections and pieces that aren't there for mm-hmm. him, but he is a, is a walking miracle. Oh. He is a walking example of what that one choice mm-hmm. Did to change his entire life. Absolutely. And people say to me lots of times, and, and my husband yeah. and I have that conversation about, you know, quality of life, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And I don't think, I think he has a better quality of life now than he ever did for the past, you know, few decades mm-hmm. that he was in active addiction and in that hard life, because I don't think that's a life. Yeah. You know, he, he, now he's blessed with, he goes to church, he has family, he has a home, he's, you know, has purpose Yeah. that I don't, I, I think he was so entrapped mm-hmm. that he didn't have that before. So yes, he was able-bodied before right. and he had that going for him, but I think that you have a bet, he has a chance at a better quality of life mm-hmm. now than he ever sure. did before this. Yeah. And that totally makes sense. Cause when you are out there in active addiction, a lot of times, you know, when we're, when I'm sitting working with somebody, we talk lots about connection, find your people and find your purpose. And that makes your quality of life a lot better and sustaining that quality of life and improving on it. Right. 
But I know firsthand when you're out there in active addiction, your purpose really isn't very purposeful. It's about getting and finding ways to get more and use right. it. And the community you're around, I mean, it is your community, right? And that's a big piece that keeps people out there for a long time is that's the community they know. That's their people, but it's not the healthiest environment to, to no. put your boots on in every morning. And a lot of time, like even now, you know, he would say to us sometimes like, oh, well, I just need you guys to know that so-and-so was a good friend to me. No, yeah. no, they weren't. So, you know, you, you might have seen that maybe now they're trying to tell you that, but they weren't, mm -hmm. you know, you're going now you have the opportunity to surround yourself with people who are good people, right. right. Who have goals, who have aspirations, you have the ability to make a difference in people's lives. And I think that that was a huge part of, of, I mean, even how our brand and how how Absolutely. that part came into it, because on that first drive home, I just said to Dave, like, I feel a bit responsible for wanting, like, if he can never tell his story, I think that we should be the ones to do that. Mm -hmm. I think that we, you know, can help him to have that voice that he wanted you mm -hmm. know before this happened and that that goal that to help other people to be that addictions counselor I mean maybe it doesn't come in counseling as much yeah. as it comes in but how would that what would that look like mm -hmm. you know and there was a lot of conversation around how how would we do that or how would you he can't he wasn't talking a lot then and he had no like no memory at that point and you know how would he be able to help other people sure. without knowing mm -hmm. that story, you know, that Which, he had. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a whole different perspective now, right? Then how do you help somebody, like you said, when you don't really remember the story? Right. That, and your, and, and that it's your life, mm -hmm. right? And the people around you watched you live that, watched you walk that walk. And now it's, it's as if it's erased, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's as if it's not there. For sure. He does, doesn't remember a lot of the, you know, jail and the thing, you know, the things, I mean, there, it's coming back and there is some that, that is there, but <clears throat> those hard pieces of life, it's like God did the mm -hmm. sw swift clean of yeah. the slate and said, you know, going forward, we're going to change the way that you look at life and the way that you're able to help other people right. and that. You don't have to, you don't have to be in that anymore, yeah. you know? And I think that no matter what that looks like, it doesn't have to be addiction. It, it's our past. We, we always reflect on it, yeah. right? We, Absolutely. oh, I really was shitty to that person, you know, or I did that or I did, you know, and, and we carry that with us a mm -hmm. lot. So to me, sometimes it's like that, that's kind of like a, a cool perspective to think that he never has to dwell on that. Yeah. anymore he doesn't have to think about the people he hurt or the things that happened or <clears throat> whatnot because mm -hmm. there's a lot of that's not there for sure you know that yeah. going forward he can just speak from now and yeah. and being in the now like we say that a lot like you think about living in the now mm -hmm. living in this moment this journey and him I mean, if there's a person that has to live every single day for this very moment, it's him yeah because that's, that's all he has is this time right now. And then tomorrow that might look different. For sure. And that's like, 
I think we all wish that we could have that mm -hmm. to some degree. For like, sure. I wish I didn't have to think of all those things. It but. would make life a little easier at times, for sure. Right. And I know, you know, that's that's a big piece of being in recovery. And and I don't want to call it successful recovery. I want to call it like serenity. Like this serene, peaceful feeling is dealing with your past, you know, being accountable to it, making those acknowledgements and making amends for them and moving forward, right? Whether or not that cleaned much up or not, it's about cleaning yourself up and and that guilt and that shame and and then using them as learning experiences. And I really screwed these people over. This is what I'm going to do differently. And I'm not going to do that again type thing, right? And that's that's the piece to to working a solid, um, productive recovery, I believe. And what you're talking about there, <clears throat> it, it doesn't have to be drug and alcohol related. It can be anything, right? We're all recovering from something. Right. And if we can... I hate to say we, like I'm talking for the world, but if, if the individual can take ownership of their past, clean it up, and that's difficult and can be hard. And uh, yeah, none of it's easy. But I mean, what a, what a cool direction life starts to take if you start doing that. Because you can become an advocate against those things that were your past. For sure. You know, like then you you can almost stand in the strength of saying, just like you said, about of ownership, mm -hmm. you know, and even like our story, the amount of tears and emotions and stuff that have come from it. It's like my girlfriend said to me today, like, oh, it might be an emotional one. And I said, you know, it's different now because yeah. now we're taking that that pain and that trauma and that life altering experience and we're pushing it outward in a a good way, yeah. right? We're like using it to help other people and to open up that conversation that now it doesn't feel so, so emotional, right? It's, it's taking ownership of that again, <clears throat> right? There's so much shame in, in these stories sometimes, or these things that we do, or these, yeah. you know, this, cause we could have kept quiet. We could have just, you know, well, this was just another thing that happened, another right. thing, but instead it's like that whole using it I think I said this to you at coffee the other day about being someone else's survival guide yeah and that we never know what piece of our story or what sentence or or something that you're going to say that you share from your perspective of, of what happened mm -hmm. that's going to be something that really changes that for yeah, someone else for sure and that's important it really is because you can go through you know I, I look back on my journey right I went through let's say 30 years of life on this planet, not really recalling any of those light bulb moments that you're talking about. Right. But once I got in recovery and you work on the present moment and, and all the stuff that comes with it, those, those light bulb moments start happening and you don't walk past them and you don't chalk it up to coincidence and you don't chalk it up to, Oh, that was lucky. Right. It, it's no, it's like, I remember somebody telling me coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. Right. I'm like, it's so true, right? Stepping out of it and letting you, you know. 100%. But knowing that that's where it came from. Yeah, right. Right? And that somebody had a bigger, <laughs> I mean, he is here because someone had a, has a bigger plan for him. And the fact that then you start thinking about purpose in that sense and, and mm -hmm. feeling like, you know, how we could take this mess and make it a powerful, transformative message. Yeah. You know, that, that changes things. Then it takes 
it takes the pain out of it almost, right? Mm -hmm. Because then you can have ownership to that and you can talk about it and you can be um, vulnerable with it, knowing that it's going to help somebody else, Mm -hmm. right? And then it, yeah, it changes you in the way that you look at things too, like compassion in the first, you know, and and all of those pieces that come along with that. Yeah, it's it's such a powerful thing that you and your husband are doing. And, you know, we say this lots at OCJ is, and it's kind of the basis how we got going is, you know, all of us have a story and, and the difference is we got to figure out a way. And I think we've done that instead of, you know, sharing our story, how are we going to use our story to help other people? And that's the piece you're talking about, right? Everybody has a story, but there's a difference between telling it and using it. Right. And being, making that as if it's, Yeah, immersing yourself Mm -hmm. in it, right? Because it's not easy, but I think, I mean, I I tell my husband a lot that I think a lot of this was therapy for me too, because it was a way to make all this hard, give me a focus and and make all this hard stuff not so hard. For sure. Right? Because you knew you were going to help someone else. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, he's so humble about his journey with sobriety and all the things, but he will time and time again just pour it back to me and just say that you know you without your love and support you saved me and it's it's an odd feeling sometimes Mm -hmm. because I just stepped in and did what I would do for someone I love and that was not you know there was no strings attached to that there was no you know um conditions that way but then to turn around and do it again it's just You know, and we talked about this at at, um, coffee too and how, you know, I just said, I just feel like that's just something that someone does. The amount of people that come to me and say, that's not just what anybody does. People don't show up for people like that. Should they? Yes. I think that that's important to show up for people in your life like that. Mm -hmm. But I just don't don't question it. That's not something that ever crossed my mind that said, leave him there. He made this choice. He made this decision. For sure. This is what he has to go through. <clears throat> we just jumped in and we did what I thought mm-hmm. anybody would do. And I do hear that a lot. Like people are like, oh, I don't know. Like <laughs> I just said, like, it's just something a, wi- a wife does, isn't it? Like that's just what you do to support. But I guess that's the perspective of people too sometimes yeah. that, you know, we really did give up a year of our life, Absolutely. you know, in all ways, financial, emotional, you know, our jobs, all of this kind of stuff shifted to keep this human alive and, and thriving, mm-hmm. you know, because he, he means something to us because he's our family and because we love him. And, and I think that that's, I don't know, I, it's, it's humbling. The whole journey is very humbling that way because <clears throat> you just show up and do things for people the way that you would want them to do something for you. You know, my mom said the same thing. She's like, if I ever get sick, I want you on my team. Right. Like, (laughs) it's just like, yeah, but I mean, because I would just do that for anyone. Yeah. And I think that, that this whole journey has grown me as a person in reflection Mm -hmm. of that too, knowing that I've actually, you know, grown from this and become something different through this whole Absolutely. And, and, you know, over the last year, year and a half here at OCJ, we've kind of shifted some of our perspective onto, you know, not only recovery focused, um, 
podcasts and recovery focused work, but the the building of resilience in people, right? Get on the front side of it and let's see if we can help people build resilience. And what you're sharing with us today and this journey that you and your husband have gone through with Paul is remarkable. And I just listened to how many, <clears throat> how many building blocks, how many green boxes, you and I talked about this before, right? Based on a lot of the research that has been done by the Palix Foundation and the Alberta Family Wellness Initiative initiative. How many green boxes have you put into your life since starting this journey, right? How many new skills and abilities? and So many. Right. And it just strengthens and increases that level of resilience that you guys all have. Right. It's and amazing. It, it transforms you truly because you, you think when you're in the thick of it and you're immersed in this and coming from, you know, I didn't have a lot of, um, experience with addiction and things like this and and the turmoil and and all of that and to immerse yourself in it and then come out of it thinking like wow for sure and you didn't even you didn't even just dip your toes in you just had to go (laughs) off the high diving board at the deep end there was no being scared there was no we're in it yeah we are in it and we choose to be here Mm -hmm. right we that was our choice we chose to show up for him in a way that you know, we felt was what we needed to do. And I think, you know, oftentimes when there's like really shitty situations and you look like, and you're in it and you're like, where is God in this? You know, why does crappy things happen to good people all the Mm -hmm. time? You know, all of this, these questions come out the other side and we reflect so much on like, there, yeah. there, there, you know, when this happened, when this was perfectly aligned, when that, you know, fell into place, that you can look back on mm-hmm. it and think like, <clears throat> there, as much as there was a reason for the walk that Paul's on, there was a reason for Dave and I to to walk this mm-hmm. walk as well. And there was less, there's lessons in it and there's a bigger purpose for us. So it's a I don't know. It's a really cool way to like look back on something that, you know, you felt like you were never going to get out of. For sure. And that you were in so, like you said, in so deep and, and immersed yourself so quickly that it became everything that was your focus. Yeah. That on the other side of that, it grew you to be somebody that's entirely different than when that experience started. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, one of the most important pieces that you know, you just shared about, and I know it from my journey. I know it from a lot of people who have bettered their quality of life, you know, that looking back piece, right? When you're in the middle of it, there aren't, there's no roadmap. There's not a a GPS that says in 200 meters, turn right. You don't get those, those uh, key points in life, right? You just got to figure it out as you're on the fly. And I don't know about you, Kim, but for me, it was like, okay, I have this belief. And at that time it was a belief in something greater than myself. I wasn't ready to see God or I wasn't ready to believe in this yet, but I knew I needed the help. Right. So I believe in something, but it's like, believe in that. And I'm going to get through this. I just got to keep going one foot in front of the other. Right. And when, you know, people ask this all the time, what was the turning point? Or when, when did you really start to feel like your recovery was working? I'm like, I don't know. There's no pin flags. Like when you look back, right. It's like, but I did need to do this for that door to open and to get there. And I said, yes, there. And now this happened. And it's just all these things fall into place when you're doing the next right thing. And those doors, like you said, Mm -hmm. right? When you start to look for them and you come out of this, there was no victim mentality for us. We could, we, 
we couldn't. Right. If we were in that, you know, what was me mm-hmm. the whole time or why is this happening or, you know, we're giving up all this and for we sure. are doing, we couldn't. And what you an can't. easy state for a lot of people. I know I've fell into it. Right. Poor me. Right. This sucks. You'd it's do actually this the easiest. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's why I think a lot of people end up there. And if you end up there enough, it becomes a comforting feeling, right? We, we get used to that feeling, right? And it's, we throw this pity party and we thrive off of it. hundred percent. Really? But you know? we don't grow. And then you, then you stay stuck yeah. and then there's nothing <clears throat> there that, and I mean, if we would have done that, first of all, you know, our marriage would have suffered mm-hmm. because this was a huge, this was our whole focus for this whole year. You know, your marriage would have suffered. Your family life would have suffered. His care, like for Paul's sure. care and the next step for him, that would have suffered because we wouldn't have been able to show up that way Absolutely. if we had been in this whole, like, what was me for sort sure. of mentality. Absolutely. And, you're, and I would venture, I guess, to say that your husband's sobriety wouldn't have been on the same path it is today, right? It would have been a lot more difficult to keep that. He going. couldn't have showed up no. the way that he has for his brother. He could not have showed up that way if he didn't choose sobriety. Sure. And again, we talk about those God moments. Where was God in all of this? God was there three years ago when he said, I'm about to set you up for something that's going to shake your whole world. No kidding. Because he needed that. He needed that three years to work on himself to get him, you know, to get him straight and narrow so that he could do what he was about to do for his brother because he couldn't have, we could not have, he could not have showed up for him the way that he has the last, over the last eight months, if he was still battling his own. Yeah, for sure. Right. And that's, you and I talked about this lots and, you know, this isn't a plug for, for the uh, resilience scale and all that stuff, but you start setting yourself up and making those right decisions like your husband did. And you start tipping that scale with safe, supportive people, environments, learning new skills, all these things, right? You start tipping that scale. Does life get easy? No, life stays the same, right? The world keeps spinning and we're going to run into adversity all the time. But that arrow usually tips a lot easier towards positive outcomes. And that's kind of when you're sharing that story about how God set your husband up three years ago for this journey to build that foundation and all that stabilization and learn all these new tools. That's where my mind goes, right? Is we're tipping that scale and good luck ever swinging it back the other way. Right. Because, and now he can carry that. Totally. He carries that to our kids, right? He carries that to yeah. his brother. He carries that to the people on the scaffold, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. like they can have these conversations now and he's open to sharing because now he has that toolbox mm-hmm. that is, like <clears throat> you said, way over on the green side that says, hey, you know, when, when you're struggling, I can help you. Mm-hmm. You know, I have this knowledge now because I walked this walk, because I went through this trauma, because I, you know, and we, we, you and I had said that too about the real life experience. You can have as many things on the wall and you can have as many, you know, you can read all the books and you can do all the things. And, but when you're dropped into that real life experience, and you come out that other side, mm-hmm. he now has those tools and, and those things that he can share with other people that starts to shift that scale for them yeah, as well. You sure. know, and it's just a giant ripple effect. hundred percent. Yeah. That, that lived experience piece, you know, I have a real close friend who's also in recovery and, and her and I used to laugh about it all the time, right? We went to the university of life and the tuition was very expensive. 
We spent a lot of time there <laughs> and, and checked out all the deep, dark, gross corners of the university <laughs> and the back the alleys things. and, right. And it taught us things that you just can't pay for. No. Right. In the, in the world of academia. And, and it's not a slight against anybody who's taken the time and spent the money and had the passion to go down that path. You have the right to hang all your stuff on the walls. That's right. Absolutely, and you right? should. <laughs> and you help thousands of people. We're not saying that. But it gives us a whole different perspective that you just can't find in a textbook. And I think sometimes that's where the passion to pursue more mm-hmm. comes from, right? Because it's like, look what I walked. Look what I went through. Look who I am now. Now my purpose and passion becomes something that's like, hey, I want to help more people. Yeah. And maybe you turn around and you do go to school or you do, For sure. you know, do those things. And I think that it's it's becoming that relatable person. I mean, now we have people coming out of the woodwork all the time that just say, you know, thank you for being so vulnerable. Thank you for coming Um Letting us come along on your journey, you know, letting us see what you've went through because I'm walking the same walk that you are, or my aunt is walking the same walk that you are, or, you know, it's my brother, my sister, my aunt, my friend, who my child, you know, and now those messages come through and it's not for accolades. It's not for something that, you know, this big shiny thing. It's because I... We're being we're being used <clears throat> yeah. as as a vessel to help other people. For sure, that's genuinely just what it is. It's like you know, we're the people that we're aligning with. The things that we're doing is all just because whatever we have to share is going to help For someone sure. else. We 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 discuss. It's it's funny you say that because we have this discussion at work lots too, right? About you know the accolades and and. I always go back to social media, right? For when you're in this space that we're in and, and the space you're in, right? For us, it's not about, you know, we have 6,000 followers or we right. have 250 likes. It's not about that. It's about, oh man, did you see somebody sent us a direct message yesterday? Somebody reached out for help. It's not about the likes or the hashtags and the followers. Right. And I get it. That's a, that's a means to your message to get out to more people for sure. I'm not sliding that at all, but. It's, it's, it's a whole different perspective now when you're in it for the right reasons. And when it's driven from your heart. Yeah. Right. And it's driven from the core of something that is just like, use me to help other people, yeah. you know, use me to make a difference in someone else's life, whether, you know, and, and if you get accolades along the way, you get accolades along the mm-hmm. way, but it's, it, it creates that humbleness within yourself too that just says like hey this is actually my purpose now yeah. is just to help other people absolutely and to allow them to not walk such a lonely mm-hmm. walk you yeah. know because for us like you said we were dumped into it we had no idea you don't know like and then he's in a different province so yeah. on top of it it's all of that right and it's like having to navigate that alone and not having somebody to go to that says, Hey, I understand that you went through this too. What do I do now? Mm -hmm. Who do I reach out to? How can I get connected? You know? And I think that that's become a a passion project for us that hopefully we can help Mm -hmm. other families who are going through it or who will go through it or who have, or, you know, that you can say, Hey, I walked in your shoes and I get it. And Mm -hmm. I see you and I understand, you know, and I love what you did. And, you know, we're here for you for sure. and, and create that community around things, take the stigma out of all of it, mm-hmm. you know, and really just say like, we've been there too. Yeah. And this is how we can help you. A hundred percent. 
Well, it's funny now that you're talking about that piece, right? It really reminds me of the other area that we haven't talked about yet. And you're talking about community and you're talking about passion and purpose. And we're talking about reducing stigma and, and like you said early on, right? We're, we're all just one decision away. Really? So why don't you share a little bit about yeah. what you and your husband are doing now? So we just took that on that drive that day. And I just said, like, how do we do this? Mm-hmm. How do we make this something that can help us get that message out? Because at, at that time we didn't have a name or nothing. And I was like, I don't know, like hats would be fun, right? Like here I, I just, I like fashion. I like, yeah. you know, and I thought that's a cool thing. Like Paul could have one and, and like thinking very small. And I was like, well, what would I even call it? And Dave just looked at me and he's like, well, you know, like we're all just one decision away from a totally different life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, bingo, yeah. that's it. Like we're going to work with this. That's the perfect tagline for anything. And I think it's important to like, did it come from, <laughs> did it come from sobriety? Did it come from addiction? Did it come from recovery? Yes. But that doesn't, that's not it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that decision can be leaving an abusive relationship. That decision can be separating yourself from family members who are, are not serving you. Yeah. That can be taking that trip that you've just been so fearful to go on by yourself or buying that new house. It doesn't have to be, yeah. you know, something that is negative or doomy and gloomy and, you Absolutely. know, that sort of thing that it encompasses every day and every choice that we make can affect what that looks like going 100%. forward. On so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So that was a really cool, like, I was like, okay, we can, we can work with that. That can become a message. And we've kind of just adopted that as it being a conversation starter, just like this for people, because, you know, when you're wearing the ODA and people are going, you know, Oh, ODA, what does that mean? It opens that door mm-hmm. to talk about, you know, every single day, we're one decision away from a totally different life. doesn't matter what that looks like for you because everybody's faced with hard choices. Yeah. Everybody's faced with decisions that are going to change the trajectory of, of their life. Absolutely. And so when you're wearing that ODA and, and people are talking about it, it can be strangers, it can be friends, it can be family. Like we get stopped all the time. Like, Oh, what, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? Or, Oh, I like that. And it just creates something. And then from there people open up because it's that, it's that door that's been held open for you to say, oh my gosh, my mom dealt with, you know, addiction or, oh wow, my sister, my neighbor, whatever. And people feel safe to do that. And I think like ultimately for us, the big goal, the big vision is I would really love to have like a retreat of some sort where I could just take that family and just love on them. Yeah, You know, because I think that, you know, there's resources for addiction. There's resources for um, to get sober, and there's there's all of these things for the people who are mm-hmm. endur- enduring that. What we found was that there's not a lot of supports for the families, yeah. and if there is, they're not known enough <clears throat> to people, mm-hmm. right? They're not the loud ones that say, "Hey, we can walk you." through this we can help you we can and even if it's not like helping with the physical stuff like where to go and what and who to reach out to and stuff like that I just think my one friend said to me the other day it's not like anybody's gonna send you on an all-expensive paid um trip because you did all this right they're not 
mm-hmm. not because this was our choice sure. and our life and our walk to walk, right? Mm-hmm. No one, there's not a prize at the end of this. The prize is that Paul gets to live a fulfilled, incredible life with us here on earth. And that's the ultimate prize. But I think like our vision would just be to, to be able to do that, yeah. to take you out of that for a while and then to surprise to have those supports and say, I do know where you can go <laughs> to sure. get help for this, or I do know where you can go to get therapy or who to call to, I mean, for us, it was where to move him to and, mm-hmm. and how to get him, you know, into a facility somewhere or get him extra help, whatever that looked like. We didn't have a clue. Right. So now that we've walked that walk, the vision would be to be able to help other families who are going through that for sure. to be able to do that too. And, and it's just really... We talk about God's hands and things. It's really taken such an incredible um, new way to, yeah. because it's, you know, it started with hats and sweatshirts and, and now we have all the things, but now it's turning into, I mean, we're sitting here doing a podcast and yeah. then it's going to turn into um, speeches and yeah. motivational speaking and, and things like that, that it, it's endless as yeah. to who we can reach and what we can do. So Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It really is endless, right? And I think... As long as what you said earlier about there is no prize at the end, right? It's about the learning on the way. It's about the journey. And and I always go back to things I've heard, right? I hear a million different things all the time. One of the other ones that sticks with me is, you know, that there is no prize at the end, like you said, right? It's not about the destination. No. Sometimes the destination is the journey. And that really stuck with me. I'm like, that makes so much sense. If you move that prize back on the playing field and just think that the whole journey is the prize. That's right. the What are you learning? What oh are you experiencing? God. What do you get to be a part of? Like the, like we spoke earlier about, I mean, it changes you as a person. And when you can look back and think of like in the depths of all of that mud and mm-hmm. muck that you, you, there's so many blessings within that yeah. that you wouldn't have got had you just went straight to the finish. For sure. You know? Yeah. And I think that's important to look at. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's almost for myself, it's, it's almost like you open the dictionary and you stroke out the word expectation and that doesn't exist anymore. Cause we, when I start having expectations, I'm setting myself up for failure and and hardship and low self-worth moments and all these things. Right. So it's just about being present and just doing the best we can today with what we have and, and accepting the the gifts as they come because they do come. And waking up and thanking God for a new day oh every day because okay. holy, you know, you think just when you think it's not <laughs> that way, <laughs> What's then everything changes. Totally right. It's it's funny how the universe can kind of just give you a slap in the face sometimes and say, here you go. Now let's see you navigate this. Right. Yeah. This is your next. This right? is what's up next. It so. reminds me, you know, I've done, I've been doing a lot of, this is way off topic, a lot of kickboxing training and, and boxing and Reminds me of Mike Tyson. Always talks about everyone has a great plan until they get punched in the face. Truly. Yeah. Right. And when the universe punches you in the face. What's it, your next move? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> your get plan. It, it really has a way of um, bringing you to the present moment. Truly. I think. Right. Because if you're not in the present moment, when you get that punch in the face, it's going to be really hard to navigate and not take the next three in the face as well. Right. It's like, how can we figure this out? And, and you've been talking about this the whole episode, right? And it's something that I believe in and we do at OCJ is it's a lot easier to do with support. Totally. And connection. And having somebody who has been down a similar path 
they shine the flashlight for you. You don't have to walk in the dark anymore, right? It's You really don't. And people will reach out now and say, like, you just feel like a safe person. <laughs> and that, to me, is the ultimate I've done. I've already accomplished what I set out to accomplish, is that mm-hmm. you you shine that light yeah. for me so I'm not in the dark anymore. And you felt like a safe person that I could reach out to. And I think that that's, we need more of that. Oh, my God. Absolutely. <laughs> Why don't you share with our listeners, Kim, where they can find ODA. For sure. You can find it on Instagram, on TikTok, and on Facebook, just One Decision Clothing Co. And you'll see more of our journey. You'll see more of our clothes and things that we're doing. And yeah, hopefully this month and going forward, we're going to be able to start giving back to some charities and some places and things that have helped us along the way. And that that'll, you know, come from... Um, people who purchase the clothes and stuff like that will be able to give a portion of that to uh, some of these things that have really helped us navigate this mess into our message. (laughs) But Oh man, that's so cool. And and as usual, um, we will have all of those links that Kim just said, we'll, we'll put them in the footnotes for this episode. Uh, We'll reshare some of your stuff. We'll make it as easy as possible for our listeners to find you guys at one decision away because it's, super important right and and we always talk about you know people can you can throw the hashtags out there and you can you can make the one-off posts about what i you know these things but it's about sharing and talking and and delivering these stories of hope and resilience and recovery and opening up those those doorways to those conversations is most important for sure and that's what helps chip away at stigma i think right the more we talk about it like you said at the start of this episode, out loud. Yeah. Right? The more it gives the next person permission to talk about it out loud. And eventually we're starting to normalize these conversations. Is it there yet? Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But No, do it messy. Yeah. <laughs> who cares? Just do it. Right? You bet. Wonderful. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And, you know, the strength and the resilience that it takes to share these stories. And uh, I had goosebumps most yeah, of that episode too. as well. <laughs> Very cool. I appreciate you guys so much. That's awesome. Like what you guys are doing and hopefully we can do some collaborations and, and things like that in the future. So I'm sure this is probably not the last time you see <laughs> OCJ and ODA. That's right. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it'll be good. So uh, once again, thank you very much, Kim. Um, all the listeners out there, please hit us up with any of your thoughts, suggestions, anything, any feedback. We love feedback. Um, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, take a few minutes to, to rate the show and uh, leave some feedback on there too, because you just never know who's going to need to hear these messages, right? Share the episodes. Definitely reach out if you need uh, some support or you have some questions. So with that, I think I am done rambling this week. Uh, we'll see you next week. The end. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the real stories of people who've triumphed over the many challenges of life's journey. If you or a loved one needs support, please reach out to ourcollectivejourney.ca. Our commitment is to empower you to build resilience as you journey towards recovery. Consider showing your support by donating online at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pate. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive.